I like to say there's like a this Venn diagram that's like the holy grail. If it's something I find funny, and then if other people find funny, when it's that's like the sweet spot. Yeah. Um, but in general, I think the good rule is if it's just the simplest, obvious thing executed so well. I think simple is always, always great. Yes, and hard. Simple's hard. It, it is hard, exactly. Every business, whether or not they realize it, is an idea business. The people at Gray have a long history of creating famously effective ideas. And so, with Gray Matter, we explore the ideas shaping our world. We ask creative minds from all corners of life how they came up with their best ideas. And that's what matters for Gray Matter. Hi everyone, I'm John Patrols, Worldwide Chief Creative Officer at Gray. For this episode of the Gray Matter podcast, we're interviewing actor and comedian Cecily Strong. Aside from her day job or night job on Saturday Night Live, you might recognize Cecily in The Female Brain and Paul Feig's reboot of Ghostbusters, as well as Melissa McCarthy's The Boss or The Bronze and The Meddler. Additionally, she headlined the 2015 White House Correspondents Association Dinner. Cecily loves to perform and knew from an early age the power of ideas to entertain and connect. From a local community theater club to improv to LA to national television, Cecily was prepared to work hard to get her ideas heard. So today I caught Cecily on the phone about how the world and people around her inspire her writing and characters, how the simplest, most obvious ideas can be the best ones when well executed, and why failure as a creative person is something you need to accept as a part of life in order to push your best ideas forward. This is Cecily Strong. When did you decide to make a living off your ideas? That sounds like you had a you had an inkling pretty early on if you were making a commitment to college. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that you ever think you're going to make a living off of it. That always felt like a pipe dream. But yeah. I mean, I started uh, very young. I, I was sort of a, I was a very strange little kid and performed a lot. And so I, my parents put me in a drama class very young and I loved it. It was my favorite thing. Um, and I, I did my first um, community theater production of The Grapes of Wrath when I was eight. I played Ruthie Jode. And uh, some nice well, light material. So I took it. Yeah, yeah, very funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, my first comedy, The Grapes of Wrath. Yes. Um, and then I did, but I did some more. I did children's theater at that, it was the Village Players of Oak Park. And then I started doing, um, I auditioned for my first professional show, uh, a musical in Chicago at this theater called the Bailiwick Theater, which I wound up doing a lot of shows there. And it really became sort of my home away from home. It was a big part of my growing up. Um, so I really appreciate that theater. But uh, and I think my my parents, my mom especially, I grew up, my parents got divorced um, and I lived mainly with my mom. And it was, I think, probably more of her decision to let me do that. But I think because it, because I loved it so much and it was such a big part of my life and she met all the people at the theater, you know, it was just really I got raised by a big group of mainly gay men and wonderful women who were all musical theater, recent graduates, and just lovely people. And I think because she trusted all of them, 
that was the big part of it. If I sort of, I always knew what I wanted to do, and it sort of, um, I went to high school. I graduated from Chicago Academy for the Arts, and it wasn't that I, I like academics as well, and I enjoy studying, I enjoy learning, but I knew I I want to be performing, and if I'm not, I just won't be a happy person. I still have to. I'm also not a, like a person that thinks I don't have to work, and I will just wait till I'm a big star. I, you know, I worked four jobs in Chicago and assumed, and I, at one point I thought, if this is my life, as long as I'm performing, I'd be very happy with that. Yes. So you, my boy, so you did feel it pretty early on, and that probably gave you, in investigating um, this topic, in talking to people who have made different choices, or sometimes they didn't make the choice that they were going to, that ideas and the pursuit of creativity and ideas was going to be where they went. Sometimes it kind of found them. But this sounds like it happened early enough on that you were able to develop that all the way and has probably given you such a great foundation to, to where you are now. Yes, but I will say a lot of the people I went to school with for uh, acting now are in different, they've gone into different directions. And yes. I think it's really important What's nice about acting school is it's a lot like group therapy, which I think is the most important is to really listen to yourself and find out what you are best at and what you enjoy and not to just do what it is you told yourself you were supposed to do or set out to do. You know, I I also was in serious dramatic theater and I my school was in L.A. and I left to go to Chicago to do comedy and they all... A lot of people looked at me like I was giving up. And in my head, it was like, what? No, this is, what are you talking about? What, have, what did you learn in comedy that still affects how you come up with ideas and affects your creative process in every other part of your life? Well, it's funny. I would actually, I would still go back to my training at CalArts because yeah. that was very much, because of the group therapy aspect and yeah. because it was, you know, avant-garde theater, there was a lot of, Improv, even if it's not funny, it's a lot of uh, just not telling an audience what to think, you know, letting yourself be vulnerable. I think um, improv and, you know, what Tina Fey, her, she's always famous for that quote about failing a bunch on stage. And once yeah. you've failed a bunch, you know, the lessons that can be learned in that. And that's what you do learn at Second City. It, there's nothing like a big corporate gig where you have to do very watered-down comedy in front of a group of people who are all having conversations and eating, and it's <laughs> super humbling. And it's like, once you do that, you can do anything. Yes. Um, but I think it keeps you on your toes, and it's every week. My job every week, I think it's like a boot camp. I have to come up. If something doesn't work one week, I... I have to try something new the next week. And while it's frustrating, I also enjoy that. Yes. And I, it's so, I think some people can get stuck and, well, let me try that again. I'll make it better. And it's like, no, just you have to try something different. So when you do that, because I think that can be exhilarating for people and can also be a little bit terrifying or stilting. So I'm going to ask one big and simple one. How do you come up with ideas? There's tons of ways. I mean, there are definitely things I'm drawn to, general themes. Uh, I definitely like characters. That's always going to be, you know, I'm not really, as a writer anyways, I'm not really a plot 
person. Uh, I'm more of definitely characters, people who, because I, I think doing comedy too, you're so self-aware because you're so observational. So it's like, I'm the most self, I'm the most aware of myself. And so, you know, embarrassed just walking down the street. But, uh, so I'm, I am so obsessed with people who have no self-awareness. I love a public meltdown. I love somebody who is so wrong, but yet so loud and confident. This is a slight aside, but I saw a talk once with Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he talked about that exact process. That's how he got most, a lot of his inspiration for the work that he was doing. And one of the things he talked about was overacting. And he said he, it was something he did not believe in because he said, all you have to do is walk down the street and everyone's overacting, <laughs> which I loved. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that everyone lives out in ridiculous ways. And if you just observe that and, and absorb it, you can, you can take a lot from it. Well, exactly. I mean, how many times people say, like, you couldn't make this stuff up. Yeah. You couldn't write this stuff. So that's clear for your process. How does it work if you're, or one, do you work in a team sometimes? And how does it work for you when you're working more in collaboration instead of on your own coming up with ideas? When I'm writing, I love to work in a team. It's always good to have another pair of eyes. I don't like to have too many cooks in the kitchen, uh, but I think it's always great it, it keeps you from getting too precious with your ideas especially on a weekly sketch show yeah it's like what a trap to get so precious <laughs> being yeah. like no it has to be that and, and you know you could get some note that you can't use this song so it's, it's good to just be able to take notes to take other ideas and it could be something that makes your sketch you know two times better so i love doing that and then i love sitting by myself then when it comes to character work, that is something I'll do more on my own. And at first I was self-conscious about it. Like, oh, is it, is it ridiculous that I'm thinking about this so much? But I think that's part of acting training too. Is, um, that was so much of the training. It's like, no, and it's only made every performance better. It's if you really, even though we're doing big, broad characters, I like to understand the humanity of each of them as my, because even ridiculous humans are humans. Yes. I like to understand what makes them ridiculous, too. I love you just said um, it's a trap to be precious. And I yeah. think that is it's something when um, when working with ideas and coming up with ideas, and again, especially when you're kind of relying on yourself, uh, that ideas is your way of life and, and maybe your way of making a living. It can be because you're just so happy you found a good one. Uh, to just hold on to it for a while. But I'd love that phrase, that that's just a trap. Uh, you have to be open to to any criticism that can help make it better or just any collaboration that might bump it into a different place. Sometimes you'll know the difference when it's, there are some people in your life, especially when we, you work in a creative industry, some notes you'll know are, you know, not great. It's somebody who's giving you a note because they feel like it's their job. They're keeping their job by giving you a note. Yes. And then there's people who are just giving you notes and it's, you can't treat them both the same. And it's easy to get defensive when something feels like your baby. But if you can find a way to turn off those, that defensive and take it all in. And even if you want to sit with it for a second, then go through and see if any of those are pretty good notes. How do you know an idea is a good one? That's tough. Yeah, I guess I, I, 
know, I don't. I think it's sort of lucky. I always, for what with what I do, I like to say there's like a this Venn diagram that's like the holy grail. If it's something I find funny, and then if other people find funny, when it, that's like the sweet spot. Yeah. Um, but in general, I think a good rule is if it's just the simplest, obvious thing executed so well. I think simple is always great. Yes, and hard. Simple's hard. It is hard, exactly. Are there places you go or are there things you do that can inspire that? Or is it just living openly and being open to th things that are happening and, as you said, capturing them when they're happening? No, I, yeah, I think it's just living openly. And I think I'm a, I've just always naturally been a people watcher. I think I could get lost. I'll forget street signs. I'll get completely <laughs> lost in the city. I won't know where I am, monuments because I've just been like eavesdropping because there's some ridiculous conversation behind me. There's like, I, I'm always like, I'm sorry, you guys, I've been <laughs> listening to this conversation behind us. You would not believe what they're right. saying. <laughs> you know, that's just always been what I like. I, and I, and I just like human relationship. I think the, you know, that inspires me too. If I could spy on T, I know that makes me sound creepy, but it just, I find, I think human relationships are so fascinating. The way we affect each other, all of that is all exciting to me. Do you think of yourself, just the world of ideas, are fra it's fragile and it is uh, putting yourself out there. Do you think of yourself as a courageous person? There's a type of courageous that I definitely think I am. I'm, if I think it is, an effective time to speak my mind, I absolutely will. I've always been one to want to speak up for others. I've been a little, I'm not into kind of a useless bureaucracy. I like things that are effective. I don't like my time being wasted, but I also don't like to be a rude person, if that makes sense. It does. You're from the Midwest. I understand that. Right. Yeah. But I like, I, I, I feel like, especially on, when I'm working on, you know, what weekly show, I feel like our the, the best currency we have is our time. And yeah. I don't like my time being wasted. I like to sort of, you know, and I'm not afraid to say that, say, we don't need this shot. We don't need to be doing this right now. And I don't mind saying, and in, so in that way, I think a lot of people won't stand up. And if I see people that aren't standing up, I'll go, why not? Say which, what do you need? Yes. Let's say this. What do you need right now? But on, then on the other hand, I'm a person that's riddled with every anxiety you could possibly have. <laughs> right. So you don't, but it doesn't sound like you have them around your work, around your ideas and around your process. Well, I still get nervous. When I auditioned for the show the first time, I wasn't sure I was ready. But at that point, I thought, you know, it's probably good to do some things that scare you. And you're probably more ready for for things than you think you are. There's a certain amount of drive that gets you even to that first audition, even if you don't feel, even if, you know, somewhere deep inside you're wondering if you're ready, but the, that um, takes an incredible amount of drive to even get to that moment. Where do you think that came from for you? Well, I think it's, it's good to have other people around to, to kind of talk you up into it. I think there's like a curiosity to see, I haven't done this before, I wonder, do they have the same reaction to me as I do? Uh, and then I think, again, just saying, I think I'm good at this, so I want to do it. 
And what's the worst that could happen, really? This is almost an obvious question, but but I think people have different takes on it. How important is a supportive community to you and your creative process and, and you know, living in a world of ideas? How important is that community to you? And how important is criticism to you in, in that process? I find criticism less important. I think it's so, because I think it's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to say what we don't like. Um, I think that, like, self-criticism it's so easy to talk yourself out of doing things. And it's almost, I almost, I won't call it lazy, but it's almost like bordering on it. It's just like your fear will keep you from doing so many things. Yeah. And um, I find it, I like being a person that will encourage others too. I love to be somebody that can lift somebody else too. I like being around people who feel similarly. I like to see other people do their best to succeed. How does that, I think this can be a difficult thing for people is, and we've touched on it before a little bit on how to take feedback, how to know what is enough to stretch that idea or to change it and when to know, um, I, sh- I shouldn't change it anymore. This is, I think, I think it's enough. Uh, yeah, what's that, how do, you, how do you know? I think that's a tough one too that you sort of, you have to kind of figure out uh, on your own. I mean, I've had things that I've done. I took too many notes and I ruined something. I didn't like yeah. the way that ended up. Yep. And so it's sort of been a, you know, it's something I've had to figure out on my own. Right? I've gone, well, I don't want to take that. I feel like that changes too much. I like that note. But this, I don't want to change the whole thing that I felt worked. You know, sometimes yes. we have to make things shorter, but then you go, well, then we ruined the buildup. It needed that, right. the, time, the slow timing buildup is why that joke worked. So it's, it's something you sort of have to figure out. Okay, how do you, the, I'm going to talk about failure for a second because anyone that lives in the world of ideas and creativity obviously faces uh, failure. One, what role do you see failure playing in, in the process of, of coming up with ideas? It's hard to say what it does ideas I think it's just something that in as a creative person it really is something you have to accept as not a big deal not something that can guide your life not something that can be an anchor something that you have to sort of take with a grain of salt really you have to just accept it as just as a part of life and move on and you go that one didn't work okay and then no I mean, don't don't disregard it, you know, say, well, that didn't work. Why didn't that work? But don't dwell on it and don't let it defeat you. Yes. So with that, how has your, frankly, your fame or the fact that you live in a, a more public life now than you did uh, maybe, you know, when you were going, when you were coming up and uh, when you're out in California in college and coming back to Chicago, you're obviously a, a much more public figure now. How's that affected your creative process? Um, yeah, has it affected it at all? And what do you do to make sure that it doesn't? I think the biggest way is that I, I try to be much more careful and smarter in in what I want to be saying and making sure making sure nothing's hurtful that I'm not. Yeah being lazy, that I'm making sure, you know, we can't say, can't say anything these days. I don't believe in that. 
but I want to make I never want to be doing comedy that's actively hurting people. Yeah. I never want to be putting things out there, but I don't want to be tone deaf and I don't want to be blind to people. So it's important to me to ask questions. It's important. I think it's always important to have lots of different types of friends and ask them questions and not be afraid to ask them questions because I care. I make sure that, you know, make sure your rooms are full of lots of different people. Then you really don't have to worry about offending people. Right. Do you think now when I just asked a question about your living on a more public stage, this is a question unique to being a performer, I think, and living in the world of ideas and creativity, but that where you are really the instrument of what those ideas are. Do you, when you're coming up with ideas, do you think of them in terms of execution? Are they already, are you always, do you find yourself thinking of them in how you personally would be expressing them as a performer or are they, can they live in the abstract and then you find your way in on the performance side? No, I think because I'm a performer and a it is, I'm thinking about it in execution at the same time. Yep. That and I sense. think that comes from improv too. You're sort of, when I'm in the room writing, we're usually, we're, we're acting it out as we're writing it, seeing what sort of makes us laugh. What's the best advice you were given along the way about ideas and being creative? When I don't know if it's very helpful outside of my job, but I get somebody say, once, like, take, if someone gives you, if someone gives you five notes, take, take three and leave two. <laughs> I like that. I like that as a life, yeah. I like that as life advice. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then this last one, because I think this is always this, the, what can make it the most exhilarating uh, way to live and way to make a living, but also can be the scariest is how do you know the next idea is going to come even when you're living in a moment when you don't you don't have the idea right now but you know it's coming how do you know um i don't know that you that i know anything i think i just i sort of um i i hope that it will i think i'm more of a person that's a hoper not a blind facer but it's sort of even on weeks off i mean I, I, I'm constantly writing. And I think what's nice is when you're in a job where you are writing all the time, you start training yourself. So oh, yeah. when you train yourself to have ideas, when you train yourself to write every week, that sort of, you get into a habit. So your body wants to, your brain wants to. So even if it's not a great idea that week, it could be the next week. I think that's great advice. And it's inspiring advice that it is, it, it doesn't have to be a mystery because you, you think the compare the comparison to athletics isn't that isn't off. Is that it's training and training and training, and you just find your way. That even though it isn't in front of you, because you've developed the tools and the training and the curiosity, you know it's coming because it always has. Right, and I think, and I don't know if this is. Uh necessarily helpful for everybody but I know for myself personally I work best coming from a place of joy if I'm um, so I think making sure that my mental health is taken care of that I'm not beating myself up as long as I have that taken care of then I can sort of feel like it'll come it'll be there walking outside something's going to make me laugh today something's going to inspire something well 
thank you so much. Thank you so much for the time. Thank uh, you. Yeah, I, I yeah. really enjoyed it. And I think it's going to be helpful to anybody that gets a chance to listen um, because you're, you're living in a very in- inspiring life. And when I think when people get role models and can see uh, people that are making, making their way just off of their creative process and on their own ideas, it's inspiring itself. And so the fact that you let us in a little bit has been great. Well, that's so kind. Thank you. Well, Cecily left us with a a lot of great advice on ideas. Uh, I think probably the most inspiring one to me is work from joy. It's such a simple approach, but uh, I think one that people need to hold on to. You know, cynicism, uh, anger, frustration, spite, they actually aren't bad motivators. Uh, It can get you somewhere sometimes, but actually working from joy is, I I think, where the best ideas come from, and, and it's really how ideas can flow. For more from founders, creators, and inventors and how they thought up their ideas, be sure to subscribe to Gray Matter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review and tell your friends. Follow Gray's social pages for more information about Gray and new upcoming podcast episodes. Thanks all for listening to Gray Matter. Gray Matter is hosted by John Petrulis, produced by Graham Nolan, Christina Torres, and Joey Scarillo. Mixed at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.